This week's parsha is Parshas Kisavai. And the parsha begins with the Indian of Bikurim. Bikurim is that when you're a farmer in Eretz Yisrael and you have the first fruits of your labor, you've worked so hard to plant and to, uh, and to prune and to do everything that you were supposed to. And now finally, the, uh, the first fruits come out, and that's a very exciting thing for a farmer. So the natural inclination of a person is, I want to taste my fruits. This is, this is the fruits of my labor, literally. But the Torah says, no, you have to bring those first fruits to your shalayim, and you present them to a kayin, and then you read in a whole, a whole parsha, as is uh, laid out in the beginning of our parsha. And it's supposed to teach us many lessons, the Bikurim, and remembering where we come from and, and how everything has to be for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, everything that we think is rightfully ours in life, we have to rethink as being only gifts of Hashem. There's so many valuable lessons, so much so, in fact, that the Torah uh, was given in this chus of the mitzvah of Bikurim. This is what Chazal tell us. Bikurim is not a, a simple mitzvah at all. Bikurim is one of those fundamental mitzvahs that there is so much to glean from. Today, I want to talk about a less uh, known halacha about Bikurim, and I think that there is a, a, a very, very valuable lesson for us all from it. It's a strange din. There is a, uh, a Gemara in Bavakama on Sadi Bezam and Aleph. And the Gemara says, Minaha milsa damri inshi, basar anya azla anyusa. Where do you know the statement that people make? People, uh, there, there are certain uh, maxims or piskamim uh, uh, quotes that are bantied about, and the Gemara wants to know a specific makar for one of them. Basar anya azla anyusa. After poverty comes poverty. Poverty follows poverty. What does that mean, poverty follow? Where do you know that from? Anyway, that was an expression, but where do you know that? Where do you find a, a reference, a source for this in the Torah? So it brings a Mishnah in Bikurim. Mishnah says, Ashirim mevim Bikurim bekolase shel zahav v'shel kasef. When wealthy people brought Bikurim to the Beis HaMikdash, they took all of their first fruits and they put them in baskets of silver and gold gold and silver baskets, they would take them, carry them, transport all these fruits. Poor people, they couldn't afford silver and gold. Where do they come to gold and silver baskets? Those are very expensive. So they just took the regular garden variety wicker basket and made of some uh, reeds and they would put their fruits in that basket, and they would bring it to Yerushalayim in those baskets. Again, so wealthy people brought the fruits in chashava, gold, silver baskets, and the Aniim brought it in wicker baskets. Hasalim v'abikurim noistim l'kaihanim. And guess what? The rich people that brought their salim, their, 
their fruits in the gold and silver baskets. What did they do? They took it home with them. They dumped the fruit to the Kayin. They gave the fruit to the Kayin in joy, and they took home their chashuva baskets. However, the Aniyim, who brought their fruits in these wicker, very cheap baskets, they had to give the baskets as well to the Kayan. They weren't able to take the baskets home, even though every penny counts, and they could certainly use the baskets, but the Torah says that you have to, or Chazal t- say that you have to leave those baskets with the, uh, with the Kayan when you're bringing the Bikurim. So it's not just the fruit that you're giving, but you're actually also giving the baskets in which the fruit were brought. And that is what the Gemara wants to say, is the Makar, this is a beautiful source for this expression of Basar, Anya, Ozlaz, Anya, because Nebuch, poor people, they, uh, you know, they have more problems. They, problems follow the poor. So poor people, it's not enough that they're poor, but also they have to give their baskets to the Kayin, uh, which makes them even poorer. Basar, Anya, Ozlaz, Anya, but it's a very strange halacha, isn't it? That why is it, Taka, that the Ashirim, they get to take their baskets home, the Kayin gives them back the basket of silver and gold that they brought it in, but the Aniyim, for some strange reason, have to forfeit the basket to the Kayin uh, as part of their Bikurim. Very, very strange din. And the Mepharshim understandably try to explain it, the Taisus Yantif, for example, which is one of the great commentators on the Mishnah, so if you look in that Mishnah in Bikurim, uh, he brings that the, uh, that the Aniyim, their Bikurim um, is not so chashev, meaning what type of fruits already are the Aniyim bringing? They're probably bringing shvacha crops. They don't have the wherewithal to, to properly take care of their fields. So the grapes and the, the pomegranate, they're shvach. So just sort of to supplement that matnasani that, that that bikurim gift, you add also the uh, the salim in order to really round it out to make it a complete, more complete whole matana. The fruits of the wealthy people are probably beautiful, lush, you know, green and red, and all the things that you'd expect to have a an usher's field look like. So they didn't have to supplement anything. The fruit itself was so chashev that nothing more than the fruit was necessary. That's the Taisus Yantiv's uh, approach. He brings it from the Sifri. I saw a more lamdisha approach in the Tiratimima. The Tiratimima says that maybe because the basket of the Aniyim is made from a natural fiber, it's organic, so therefore it sort of becomes part of the Bikurim presentation. It's, it's a din in Bikurim. It, it's part of the Bikurim is. You have to give the, the organic produce to the Kayin, so it sort of becomes part and parcel of the Bikurim. It's not just the fruits that you're giving to the Kayin, but it's also the basket that the fruits are contained in, that's also, that becomes a part of the matna, the matnas bikurim itself. The gold and the silver that were given by the, uh, the, the wealthy people, that's not, that's not an organic, so therefore that's definitely not part of the bikurim presentation. But anything that's grown organically that you're presenting together with a, with a, with a paris, that becomes a part of the bikurim. It's a little schwer, I think, just because 
um, the Bikurim were brought from the Shiva Saminim. I don't know what this wicker comes from, but I don't, maybe it was brought from one of the Shiva Saminim, I'm not sure. But if it wasn't, then it's strange that that would be a part of the, um, a part of the, uh, of the Matana of Bikurim. Anyway, that is the approach of the Taisus Yantiv, of the Teretimima. Uh, I wanted to suggest perhaps a different approach to explain why this is, to explain perhaps what the lesson, the takeaway lesson that the Torah is trying to convey vis-a-vis the Bikurim is uh, for us. How do we take a lesson from this, that the Aniyim, they have to contribute their basket itself, whereas the Ashirim get to take home their basket, which seems to be very ironic. Now, we know in life, there are two types of people in life, for the most part, just to use the extremities. We have Aniyim and we have Ashirim. Basically, life could be broken down into the haves and the have-nots. Now, there is a middle class as well that's sort of somewhere in the middle, but let's just for, uh, just for the purpose of today's shear, let's just be very, you know, try to, try to dissect society into two groups, the haves and the have-nots. There are people that have, and they have perhaps a lot of money, and they spend, and they, uh, you know, they live very well, they have very, li- very high lifestyles. And then there are people that are, Rahman al-Islam, very poor, and they uh, have to count their pennies, and they have to live uh, you know, from hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. And, and both of them have to get through life. Now, I'm saying both of them have to get through life because, and that sounds like, you know, like it's a struggle for both, and you're probably wondering, well, what's the struggle for a, a rich man? I get what the poor man's struggle is, but what's the, what's the rich man's struggle? So if you look in the Mesol Sisharim, the Ramchal, right at the beginning of Mesol Sisharim, in Parak Aleph, he says as follows. He says, Kikol inyane ha'aylam, bein taiv, bein ra, all matters of the world, whether good or bad, hine heim nisyayin everything in life is an isayin. Make no mistake about it. We were put on this world to be challenged to be tested. We are not here to just retire and to do nothing and to live a nice and easy life, although we daven for that. We don't want nisyayinus. We say every morning in davening that we don't want to be brought lily de nisayin, lily de bizayin. We don't want, we don't want challenges. We don't want nisyayinus. We don't want these grave uh, you know, tests that so many people are challenged by. But at the end of the day, we're challenged with these things. I just gave a... Uh, uh, a mishmar last night to a group of very fine uh, balabatim a- out in, in Long Island, and I was speaking a little bit about the Indian of a shayfer and the kailas that we blow on Rosh Hashanah. The shayfer is, is like, you know, we have a tekiah, then we have a shvarim trua, and then we have another tekiah. And the svarim write that it's sort of very symbolic of life. Tekiah is like a smooth sound, right? just very smooth, very even-keeled, when life goes as planned, when everything is perfect, and, you know, Baruch Hashem, everything is running on schedule, smooth as can be, I got the courses that I need, I got the externship that I wanted, I got the job, the shidduch worked out well, and I have children on time, and I have a parnasa berevach, when everything works out, that's a tekiah. 
nice and smooth. We like that. But in life, unfortunately, at one stage or another, there's going to be a shvarim and there's going to be a trua. And those are the sounds, the broken up sounds of like when life is not so smooth, when life becomes choppy and turbulent. And you have the voices of breakage, you have the sounds of shattering, crisis in life, problems in life, pressures of life, sickness, and, uh, and, and parnasa issues, shiduchim issues, children issues, tsar uh, issues, off the derech issues, whatever people are plagued by in life, that's shvarim and trua. But ultimately, we have a tekiah at the end. We always have a tekiah at the end, and that's to remind us that even when things are, are choppy and when we have nesenius in life, we have to maintain our sense of composure, that things are going to be okay. We have bitachim, the rabbi Shalom, and regardless of what we're going through, there will be a happy ending. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us, and maybe precisely because we're going through this turbulence, things are going to be better for us in life, even though we can't see it currently. So everything in life really is a challenge. Even if today, hopefully, is not a challenge, but brace yourself because life will always present a challenge, and that's the way life was designed. That's not a klala. That's the way it is. So the Ramchal says that what are the challenges of man? On one hand, there is poverty. Sometimes people are plagued with terrible poverty, and that's a terrible challenge. And sometimes people are even plagued by wealth. Shlomo says, I'm afraid that I might be full, and I might, when I'm full, because I'm so gluttonous, I have so much. Shlomo Melch was the was the wealthiest man in the world. Shlomo Melch could have anything that he wanted. He could have any food that he wanted. He could have any luxury that he wanted. He had palaces. He had vineyards. He had wine. He had servants. He had wives. He had anything that he could possibly want, as he writes in Kayelis. But Shlomo Melch was petrified over the fact that maybe I'm going to be so full through this, in, through the luxuries and through all of the indulgences that I will say, Mi Hashem. Who is Hashem? I don't remember who Hashem is because that's what happens when people become very wealthy. They become arrogant. They become people that are constantly thinking, You know why I'm so wealthy? I'm, a, I'm brilliant. I took gambles when nobody else did. I knew you know, that, the, that, that the, the future was in technology and I put my money down on this stock and because of that it, it took off and I'm my own self-made man. I earned this money. That's a danger of Aisher. And then, of course, there's a danger of, of Aini. Upen Ivarish Viganapti. What happens when I become poor? When I become poor, I might come to steal. I might come to rob. I might come to be angry with God. And I'll go off the derech that way. So there's no such thing as a person that is trouble-free. A person, if you're wealthy, you got big problems to worry about. And if you're poor, you got big problems to worry about. Now, the Torah always wants to help us through our problems. The Torah is not looking to punish us. The Torah is trying to give us etzis about how to deal with the issues that, that confront us. And I believe that found in this halacha, this very, very peculiar halacha about the difference between a, a rich man 
and a poor man when it comes to Bikurim, we're going to find a very life-altering lesson about what people can do to avoid the Nisayan of Aisher and the Nisayan of Aini. Let's start with the Nisayan of Aini. What is the Nisayan of being poor? What exactly is the problem of a person who's poor? There are many problems, obviously. It's hard to be poor. It's hard to never know where your next meal is coming from if you're you know, extremely poor. But even if you're not extremely poor and you have you know, Baruch Hashem, a roof over your head and things, but it's always hard. It's a daily grind to be able to make sure that you're making your payments on time and that you're not going to default on your mortgage and that your car payments are going to be on time and your kids' tuition and your clothes and your whatever you need in life, the basic necessities that you're going to be able to provide them to your family. It's a constant stress on a person. But to the core of what the issue of an ani is, in terms of himself, and not in terms of his bills. That's a, that's a big problem in and of itself. But in terms of the, the psychology of an Ani, the psychology of an Ani is that he always feels like he's taking. He always feels that he's a taker. I'm always asking for money from others. I'm borrowing money from others. I'm asking people for, for if they can give me a break you know, on my tuition, I'm asking for people for a break uh, in terms of whatever it is, I'm always taking from people. And a person, by his very nature, does not want to be a taker. A person wants to feel that he's giving. A person wants to feel like he's a giver. And when a person has to keep on taking, that psychologically is devastating for a person. And that's something that even perhaps worse than the fact that he's in a certain economic status is the fact that he never feels human in terms of being able to give. So a beautiful var from Chaim Shmulevitz, he says that, you know, we find that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Adam Rishon was born, and he says, you know what, it's not a good idea, I don't like the way I planned man that he should be alone, it's not good that he should be alone. I'm going to make him a wife, and of course he made Chava, and the rest is history. So, Reb Chaim Shalavis asks a very basic question. He says, was Adam really alone? It sounds like Adam was sitting on an island all alone in the universe, and had no, no one else in the universe. But we know that Chazal tell us that Adam Arishain, there were thousands and tens of thousands of angels that were serving Adam Arishan. Imagine being Adam Arishan in the Gan Eden. You have a beautiful Gan Eden, and there were angels that were coming, you know, there's going to be a barbecue, I think, today at 12, is that right? So imagine having, a bar, having angels, you know, barbecuing meats, whatever you want to eat. Malachim were serving wine and sushi, and whatever Adam Arishan wanted, there was the Malachim gifts. So he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. He was constantly being served by angels. So that's not lonely. Why is that loneliness? How is that alone? What's HaKadosh Baruch was saying? It's not good that man is alone. He's not alone. He's got people serving him hand over foot. There's, there's, there's no shortage of caterers that are giving him constant meals and providing for his every need. Says Reb Chaim Shulevit, such a great Yisait, he says that, you know why he was alone? It's true that people were serving him, but he didn't have to give anything back. If you don't have to give anything back, that's alone. P- 
people serving me, that's not, that's not company, that's just being served. Loneliness will exist if people are, if I'm in a restaurant and I have waiters serving me, you can't, and I'm, but I'm sitting at a table alone, that's not, that's not company, that's basically people just serving me. You know when you feel like you have company? Company is when there's somebody that I could be with, that I could help out. A husband and a wife, the wife helps the husband, and the husband helps the wife. They have a, a very good relationship, hopefully. And it's constantly giving and giving and giving. That's what marriage is. It's 100% giving from both sides. And so that's the solution to being alone. Having angels serve you, that's not going to do the trick. It has to be that I'm giving somebody. So if an ani is never able to give because he's always taking then he's basically alone. He feels lonely. He feels like he has no place in the universe because I can't help anybody. I'm not able to give anyone. I have no money. I have no, 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 no goods and services to provide for people because I'm always just busy you know, paying my own bills, just always chasing after my own tail, being able to, to make ends meet. It's very hard for an ani. That's really the psychology of the, of the ani and why it's so tragic to be an ani. Tell you a beautiful story that happened in Antwerp, which is a city in Belgium. A lot of from people live in Antwerp, and after the war, there was a year that came he from the from the concentration camps, and he had literally barely the shirt on his back. He had no money, and he went to uh, he went into the rav of Antwerp, and the rav. Uh, opened the door and he says, uh, he introduced himself and he just started, he moved into Antwerp recently and he, he saw, the Rav saw that it was very difficult for him, this person. He wasn't like a, a natural honey, you know, I don't know if there is such a thing as a natural honey, but he wasn't, he was highly uncomfortable. He was so, you know, proud that it was impossible for him to take a handout, but he recognized that he has a wife, he has a family, and he needs the handout, he needs money, so he had to go to the Rav and ask for tzedakah, something that he was very loath to do. So the Rav was a brilliant man and very sensitive man, and he said to him, listen, he says, I'm going to give you the money, because you need it and you're entitled to it. But look, I have two books on my shelf. I have two ledgers on my bookshelf. I have one ledger that's for the givers, meaning the people that I go to that I could count on to give. So anytime I have an appeal to make, if we have to, you know, if we have a crisis in town, we need to raise money quickly, or there's an ani, there's a tzairach. So I, these are the, this is the book that contains the list of Balabatim in my community that I could go to and I could ask, uh, for, for money for tzedakah. Then I have another book. These are the book of takers. These are the people that always need money and have to always keep a cheshpan of where they're holding and, and how they're doing and how their kids are doing and how if they have enough food to eat, if they have a roof over their head. So I have a book of givers and I have a book of takers. And I want to know which book would you like me to put your name in? Do you want to be a giver or you want, I'm giving you the money right now. I'm talking, this is not for today, but it's down the road. Do you want me to put your name in the book of givers or the book of takers? So this man says, you don't know me, Rav, but I am the biggest giver. Right now, life is, uh, life threw me a big curveball. I went through the war. I have nothing, but I am, before the war, I was a giver. Naturally, I'm a giver. I don't want to take. 
He says, I thought so. I had a feeling about you. I'm going to put your name. Look, let's write it together. We're going to put your name in the book of givers. The person took the money, but he walked out of there feeling like a million bucks because he saw that the Rav saw in him not a, a person that's, that, that's a taker, but rather that's a giver and even put his name in the book. And that was the turning point in his life. From then on, he became more self-assured. And then he went and he started a, a diamond business. And the PS of the story is he became the wealthiest Gavir in, in, in Antwerp. From literally having nothing, he went to being like a billionaire. Why? Because he was looked at, he was framed, he was, he was considered in the eyes of the Rav as a giver. And that makes all the difference in the world. If, a per, if he, let's say, the Rav had not done that, he would have gone out of there feeling depressed with money in the pocket, but, but feeling like a schnarr, feeling like a taker, and that would have been devastating for him. But the Rav was so brilliant that he picked him up and he made him into a giver, and by making him into a giver, it started the process of rehabilitating him from the, the plague of Aeneas, which is the fact that I don't feel that I could give. I feel that I'm only always taking on, always on the receiving end of things. In order to resuscitate the Ani, in order to breathe life into the Ani, we have an opportunity by the mitzvah of Bikurim. You have a, an impoverished farmer, and he comes and he, he scrapes together a couple of uh, shkalim in order to make it to Yerushalayim, he brings his pathetic basket of fruit with very shvacha shiva saminim in it, but he's trying to be proud of the fact that he's being mekayim the mitzvah. He has a farm. He picked these fruits. He wants to bring it to Yishlam like everybody else. He brings it in a wicker basket. And of course, the Torah could have said, Chacham could have said, give him back the basket. Give him back the basket. He needs the basket. He's an ani. What do you want from the guy's life? But the Torah in its brilliance said no. The Torah says, I want him to bring me the basket, the fruit, and I want him to, keep, to, to be able to as well donate to the Kayane the basket. Why? Because understanding what we just said, that the Nisayan of the Ani is the greatest challenge and the greatest, most crippling part of being an Ani is that I can't give, I'm never giving, we say, no, 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 you're going to give. You're not just going to give the fruits of the Bikurim, that's a mitzvah, but you're going to give as well the basket. I'm going to resuscitate you. I'm going to make you feel like a giver. Look, you have an opportunity to give extra. The fruit is the mitzvah, but the basket, I want you to give that as well because you're going to walk away from your shalayim feeling like a million bucks, feeling like that man in Belgium that was put in the book of givers. You're a giver. Remember that you are considered by the Tairah Kadeshah in the Beis Hamikdash and the Kaidesh. You're able to give to the Kayin not just the fruit, but also the basket, and you're going to walk away feeling, wow, look at me, I'm giving. I gave the basket. I dedicated not just the fruits, but the basket. And that will be the beginning of the road, of the journey of the Ani towards getting out of that state of mind of being a taker. Because now you started the process of giving and you're going to continue to give in Mitzvah Shem.
That's why, by the way, there's a halacha that aniyim also have to give tzedakah. Even if it's a poor, no, no one is really exempt from the mitzvah of tzedakah. Even a poor person has to give, has to give tzedakah because we never want the ani to feel that he's just a taker. It's so important for the mindset of an ani to be able to feel that I'm not an ani. I'm really a, I'm really a giver deep down inside. Just the circumstances are such that I can't right now, but I always want to remind myself that I can give and I will give and I want to give. And that will hopefully balance out the rough spots in the, in the, in the mindset of an ani to remind him that you're good, you're a giver. You're a giver. Be'etzim, you're a giver. And now let's turn our attention to the usher, to the wealthy man. Now the wealthy man seems like he has no problems. What's his problem? He has everything. He has a nice pool in his backyard. And he goes on vacations. And he has a place in the country. He has an apartment in Israel. He's flying all over. Life seems great for the usher. What, what's his problem? Why would he have a problem? The problem of being an usher is that an usher is always giving. An usher is always giving. He's always being asked to give to tzedakah, always asked to give it to a shul, and, and that's fine. He's always giving you know, allowances to people, he's giving people rides, he's giving people uh, whatever, gifts. He's, he's paying salaries, he's giving allowances, he's giving uh, you know, goods and sir, whatever. He's always giving, and that's good. We said before that it's important to be a giver. The problem is that because he's so always giving, he doesn't take. He almost refuses to take. And that refusal to take is a sign of gaiva. It's arrogance. I don't take it. I'm, I'm a giver. I, I don't want to take anything from you. The Gemara in Kedushin says that if a, if a wealthy man accepts a gift from a woman, if let's say a woman says, uh, you know, gives a man, normally the man gives the woman the ring, right? Let's, but there's an exception to the case. Sometimes if a, by an Adam Chashiv, if it's a very distinguished man, and the woman goes over and says that with the Hana that I have, that you're actually taking something from me, you don't take from anybody. You're taking something from me, I will be married to you, that's a good marriage. The Kedushin is Chal. Because it's so rare for a wealthy man to agree to take anything. He doesn't want to take. He's always giving. He always wants to be on the giving end of thing, things. And he never is on the receiving end of things. And he doesn't want to be on the receiving. He refuses to receive. And because of that, he becomes very arrogant. And he becomes very self-centered and very haughty. And he doesn't think that he need, He doesn't want to take from anybody. He can't take from anybody. And that is a very big problem uh, being an usher, being an usher, and therefore, the Torah says that the usher, when he goes to the Beis Hamikdash and he brings his beautiful fruits in a beautiful basket made of gold and silver, and naturally he probably want to give it to the kain. This is yours, and you know, present it. The Torah says, give it back to him. Let him take it back. Now, rightfully, it should be the Kayin's. He presented to the Kayin. The Kayin should get to keep it. But the Kayin is charged to return. He probably doesn't want to give it back. It's worth, you know, a lot of money. Tyre says, give it back. Why? Because just like the Tyre is trying to improve and reform 
the mindset of an ani by saying, give the basket and, and, and you become a giver and we know that you're a giver, the Tyra looks at the usher and says, we want you to be a little bit more of a taker. You have to learn the art of taking. Taking is also an art, believe it or not. It's like, well, why does he have to be a taker? You have to be a taker. You have to learn that sometimes you have to take things from people. You know, if you're always refusing everything, that's not good either. Sometimes a person, you know, let's say I always give you a lift with my car. And one time, you know, you say, Rabbi, can I, uh, you know, you always give me a lift. I want to give you a lift. No, I don't want to take a lift. Thanks. Why don't you want to take a lift? Well, you know, I don't know, but I don't want to. It's important for me to accept a lift. You know why? Because when I accept a lift, it shows, first of all, a certain degree of of humility, that I don't have to always be, be the one giving, I could take. It's also important for me to give you the opportunity to give back to me something. To return the favor is also important. If you're just going to build a moat around yourself and say, you know, I'm the giver and I never take, that's not right. That's not the way to live. You have to be able to give and you have to be able to take. That's why, by the way, it's interesting. I used to daven when I lived in Brooklyn in a Hasidic Shtibel and you know, you see a lot of very interesting minhagim. And one of the minhagim is around this time of year, there's something called lekach. And lekach is basically the Rebbe, uh, after davening one day, like, I think it's Erev Rosh Hashanah, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe Erev Yom, it's probably Erev Yom Kippur. But, I don't know, one of the days, that either Erev Rosh Hashanah or Erev Yom Kippur, uh, the Rebbe has like a big, uh, a big, let's say, sponge cake, and everybody lines up in the shul and, and takes. I think it's Arab Hashanah or, or right before, Sunday before Hashanah. And everybody holds up in their hand and takes and takes and takes sponge cake. And I said, like, I'm, I'm all for sponge cake, but like, what's the reason for this? Why? What's this minig? So they told me that the minig is because if chas v'shalom, a person was, it was nigzer on a person, it was, it was decreed on a person in Shamayim that this year they would be on the receiving end of something, that they would be takers, that they'd have to come on to other people for tzedakah, chesed, whatever it might be. So it'll be mekuyim through this act of giving. You're taking the cake from the Rebbe. You're, you're taking, that should be a kiyom of your taking for this year. Beautiful minig. But that's exactly what we're saying. Everybody, it didn't matter, they didn't check your bank account before you took the cake. Everybody had to take it's a lesson in taking. You have to receive some of this. Lekach, you have to take. Even, if, even wealthy people took cake because you want, it, you, you want to be on learning the art of taking. Taking in life is sometimes also important. Obviously, you don't want to be an uni, you don't want to be constantly on the receiving end, but even in the life of an usher, there's a lot of room for taking and for receiving and to be able to be open to, to, to having people give you something back. And that's very, very important. And so the Torah is telling you that whether you're an Ani or whether you're an Usher, when you come to bring the Bikurim, we're going to fix your problems. It looks like just the mitzvah of Bikurim, but when you dig beneath the surface, you're going to find a tremendous lesson in human psychology, and you're going to find the tremendous compassion from the Torah and a rehabilitation process that every single person needs on their own level. The Ani comes in, we're going to teach the Ani who's so used to taking, you're going to give. 
Give the, give the basket. Give them the, ah, you want it. You need the basket? Too bad. We're going to teach you you're a giver. We're going to remind you that you're really betzim a giver. The usher comes in and he has his fancy baskets ready to give it up. Take it back. Well, take it back? I want to give it. No, no, no. You have to take it back. We want to teach you the art of taking. Don't always think that you're giving, giving, giving. You have to be able to take as well. And this is a very vital lesson in life because in life we have to take and we have to give. And we should never think that because we're taking, we can't give. And because we're giving, we can't take. It's important to have both. Very, very important to have both. I'll tell you a gorgeous vart that became famous, but it sort of became famous to me because I told a lot of my colleagues about it and they went and they, you know, some of them are very popular speakers and they spread this idea, uh, you know, much further than I did. But this is the aside that I, uh, that I, I, I was shown once and uh, it's a gorgeous vart. It's from Sefer Nesive Yishurun. I believe he's a son-in-law of the um, of the um, uh, what's the uh, Nesiva Shalom I think he's a son of love Nesiva Shalom if I'm not mistaken he says the most one of the most beautiful varts ever listen to this vart there's two bodies of water in Eretz Yisrael within Eretz Yisrael if you know the map of Eretz Yisrael, there is basically, the river goes down and it goes into a, a body of water and it's called the Kinneret. The Kinneret uh, then pours down further and the water continues down to the Yama Melech, to the Dead Sea. I'm sure we've all been to both places and we know the difference between both places. The Yama Melech is dead. There's nothing that could survive in the Yamamelech. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Uh, it's salt. There's no organisms living there. There's no fish living there. Nothing can survive there. It's all salt. It's chemical. It's like thick. You know, you could read a newspaper as you're floating on, uh, you know, on your back in the Dead Sea. It's just, it's a very dead body of water. It's dead. There's no life. Can't. Nothing can survive. But a little bit north, and in fact, the waters that are coming that are feeding into the Dead Sea is the Kinneret. I'm sure we've all been to the Kinneret. The Kinneret is teeming with life. Teeming with life. There's different types of fish in the Kinneret. Beautiful fish. And people are swimming. People are going uh, jet sailing and, uh, you know, whatever. They're doing fun stuff on the Kinneret. And, you know, and there's St. Peter's fish in the Kinneret. And all these beautiful, like, forms of life that are just, you know, so, it's so vibrant. And it's such a study in contrast. It's like sort of like the same continuous body of water, but it's two, a lesson in, in opposites, in contrast. You have the Kinneret, and then the Kinneret, which is so alive, feeds right into the Dead Sea, which is so dead. What's going on? What, what's, the, what's the takeaway lesson? So Nesiva Shalom, the, I'm sorry, the Nesiva Yeshurun says as follows. He says, the difference is that the Kinneret, as I said, there's, a, there's, there's water that feeds into the Kinneret. And then, at, and then beneath the Kinneret, there's the water that continues to flow down to the Dead Sea, to the Amamelech. The Kinneret, based on what I just said, is really a perfect example of something that takes and gives. It gives and takes. It's, 
it receives water from a body of water, from a stream of water, from a river, and then it gives forth water. It gives and it takes. The Yama Melech is the opposite. The Yama Melech takes, takes water in from that same stream, but then it just stops. There's nothing beyond the Yama Melech. It just stops. It's, it's a dead end, literally. When something gives and takes, that's life. That can team with life. That could have beautiful life because it's, it, it, it has everything that it needs. It gives and it takes. It's able to be on both ends, and that's healthy in life. We have to be able to be givers, to be generous with other people, but also to, to take and to understand that it's important to receive from other people as well. The Yamamelach just takes. It constantly just takes and takes and takes, always on the receiving end. And when something is on the receiving end, that's like an ani, that's death. That's something that I, I, I can't live because I'm always just taking. I feel like so, so compromised because I never have the ability to give forth. I just keep taking. The difference between life and death is whether or not you have this healthy balance of give and take or you're just a taker. Just a taker, that's death. Give and take, that's beautiful, that's life. I, I said this Vart. Uh, my daughter was in a, one of my daughters was in a camp this summer in Eretz Yisrael, a touring camp, and she called me. They were on the way, the bus was on the way to the Kinneret. And, and one of the head counselors knew that, whatever, I was her father, so she asked if I could share a vart, and she put me on the, on the loudspeaker of the bus. I'm sure my, my daughter was really happy about this. But uh, basically, I said this vart, and they were very, very, it, it changes your perspective. You go to the Kinneret and you hear this vart, your mom is like living life. It's like, it's like being able to truly experience in, in real life what the way that a person should be. You should always be like the Kinneret. You should be giving and taking, taking and giving. And if you're not, if you're just one of these people that are always looking to take from everybody but never being able to give, then that is the opposite. It's like the Gemara and Brachas that says that there are three people that Chayim Enam Chayim. Their life is not a life. And one of these three people is somebody that is you eat off of somebody else's table. You're always coming on to somebody else. It's very unhealthy to be able to, you know, whether when we're, when we're young, when we're children, you know, it's normal to eat by your parents' house. That's not that's, you know, that's, that's called family life. But then sometimes, you know, we grow up and sometimes we, you know, we get married and, and we have a family, and we're still dependent on other people, whether it's our parents, whether it's our in-laws, and, uh, you know, or maybe we're not married, but we're already of age that we should be getting a job, and, and then, but we're, we're still living in our old bedroom, you know, that with, our, you know, with the uh, banners on our wall from our high school uh, you know, hockey team or whatever, and you, know, you feel like after a while, you feel like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to take anymore. I want to I start giving. I want to produce. I want to be able to, to start that next phase of life. It's a very unhealthy thing to just keep on taking and taking and taking. At a, at a certain stage of life, a person has to, yes, he has to take a little bit, but he also has to start earning and giving and, and being able to be self-sufficient. In yeshiva, this is very applicable, and I'm not talking about economics. There's not just, when we speak about Aini and Aisher, it's not always about money. It's easy to speak about money. I know that I've been speaking about money the whole shmooze here today, but Aniyos and Ashiras is really, 
there's a Chazal, I think, that says, Ein Anias Ela Bedas. The real Aini is, is in the mind. It's a mindset. Poverty is a mindset. And wealth is a mindset. There, I know people that are very, you know, financially, you know, very, very uh, not, not wealthy financially, but they're the richest people I know. They never, they're, they're generous and they're kind and they're givers. And then there's very wealthy people. They might be billionaires, but they're the cheapest people in the world. And they don't give anything. They don't help anything. They, you ask them for tzedakah there, you know, they close the door in your face. So those are impoverished people. And Aini and Aisher is really more of a function of your, your personality and your midas and your mindset, much more than, than dollars and cents. There are people in yeshiva that are very wealthy, and there are people that are very poor, and let me explain. There are people in yeshiva that are very good in learning. They're very, very good in learning. And, and they help a lot of people. They're like ashirim. And they'll give you their notes to shir, and they'll help you with shir. And that's great. And then there are people that are on niyim. They, they, they're struggling. And they don't get shir. They can't make a leaning on the gemara. And if they do, they don't really understand it. And they, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of help. They might not have your background. They might not have your skill set. They might not have your, your, your ability to hop as quickly as you, know, as you can. And in yeshiva, we want to service everybody. So the people that are ashirim, the people that are very good in learning, and they keep giving, and that's a wonderful thing, but it's also important for ashirim to be able to take from other people. That means that if there's a guy in yeshiva that, you know, wants to learn with you and he wants to teach, he wants to read the Gemara, he wants to tell you a vart, don't say, you know what, I heard that one already. Let him, let him share with you. Give other people the opportunity to share with you that you could take and you could appreciate something that they're saying. You might go to a chaburah of somebody. Maybe that chaburah, the guy giving the chaburah is far beneath you and you're not going to pick up anything from him. But let him speak. Go to his chabur. Give him covet. Let him feel like he's giving. Make, make him feel like an usher. He might be an ani. Make him feel like an usher. And you might feel like the usher. But lower yourself and take. It's good for you and it's good for him. And if you're a guy that's the ani, quote unquote, and you're not as good, but you should go and you should go and share your tire with other people. Make a chabura and try to. It might be in musr. It might be writing a newsletter. Share with other people. Don't just think that you're on the receiving end, but give to others your Torah. And share with others your Chachma, because you have a lot to contribute as well. Everybody in life can give something to somebody else, and everybody in life can take something from somebody else. This is true for the world of Chesed as well. Even if you're needy and you need to come on to you, you could still do Chesed. Chesed is not totally in what you have and what you don't have. I could still offer to do you a favor. I could still go... Uh, you know, I could still go for, uh, you know, if I'm going to the supermarket, I could offer to do errands for you as well if you need something. I could do, I could do chesed even if I'm normally taking, I want to give. And if you're the one that's giving, you can, you know, see somebody and say, could you do me a favor, could you do X, Y, and Z? You don't need that. But you want to make that person feel good about themselves and make them feel like they're contributing as well. It could be in like a, a simple thing like, like a joke. Like maybe somebody... Um, 
and I've seen Bali Musr speak about this in their Sfarim, that sometimes a person, you know, wants to tell you a joke. And either you're not interested in hearing the joke or you heard the joke already. What do you do? You say, you know, as soon as the guy says, okay, so, you know, the rabbi goes in, and he goes into a bar. Okay, I heard that one a thousand times already. I heard that one already. Why'd you have to do that? Why'd you stop the guy? Do you know that it's a chesed? Let him tell you the joke and pretend that you never heard it and laugh. Because when you laugh, you're giving chesed and you're allowing him to feel like he's giving you something. He's giving you hanah. Maybe he can't give you other forms of hanah, but he's giving you a joke. He, he's trying to put a smile on your face. Take the smile. If he wants to tell you a story about a gadol, and we all do, we, of course, everybody knows that. No, no, listen to the story. Pretend that you never heard the story and let him feel like he's giving you something. Don't stop him. Don't stunt him because by doing so, he's going to walk away feeling further impoverished. Man, I can't even tell somebody a joke. He knows it. Can't even tell him a story. He knows it. I can't give this guy anything. Let people share with you. Let people tell you a vart. And don't stop them. Let people tell you a joke and don't stop them. Let people tell you a story and don't stop them. Even if you heard it, don't say, you told me this already. Let him tell it to you again. Let him tell it to you again. Allow him to be a giver. And you, at the same exact moment in time, are learning the art of taking. And in life, you have to be a giver and you have to be a taker. In marriage, you have to give and you have to be able to take. Sometimes, you know, you don't want to take, but you have to take. You have to learn how to take. And if you're always saying, I'm doing myself, I'll do it myself, that's not, you're, you think you're being a hero, but you're not. You're, you're ruining the marriage because marriage involves, you know, giving the other person the pleasure of giving you something. And if you're never allowing that to be expressed, then you're stunting the growth of the marriage, of the relationship. And so... The bottom line is that the Bikurim teaches us how to be a human being, how to live our life in a healthy, normal way, and how to take care of other people. People, Aniyim versus Ashirim, you have to allow the, the Ashir, the Ashir has to allow himself, really, to learn the art of taking, and we have to teach the Ani the art of giving, and we have to make sure that we ourselves have the art of both. We have to be givers, and we have to be takers. We have to be like that Kineret, that is full of life. Life begins when we have the ability to take at the right time in life and then give as well. And Amitz Hashem, when we do that, we'll learn from this vital mitzvah Bikurim how to be wonderful Yidin and Amitz Hashem how to be wonderful human beings. Have a great Shabbos.